Today's episode of The Boarding Pass is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com tips. That's gotomeeting.com tips. Hello and welcome to The Boarding Pass with Murad Atesh, Ken Weeb, and today a very special guest, a day one Winnipeg Jet, current media all-star, Roman Yossi big fan. We've got Chris Mason joining us today on The Boarding Pass. We'll get to him right away. Uh, Ken Weeb, we're doing the self-isolation thing. We're looking out the window. We're seeing snow on the ground. How are you keeping right now? What's going on? Very well, Marat. Uh, good morning, sir, and we well, happy to welcome Mason to the program very shortly. Uh, the, we usually laugh this time of year. Uh, you get the water on the boots, uh, mud on the streets, playoff hockey kind of weather, but uh, we're back to January weather without the temperatures. But, yeah, getting by. Uh, the quarantine slash self-isolation 14-day window has uh, closed, but certainly uh, still practicing the social distancing. I uh, have been able to get out for a couple of walks and keeping my distance from others, but... Otherwise, plugging away, uh, watched more movies in the last three weeks than I have in the last three years, but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we're trying to keep ourselves busy and doing some fun projects on the writing side and uh, keeping the podcast rolling here. No doubt, no doubt. Um, before we keep going, is Air Bud, which we had a weird April Fool's feature on at The Athletic, there's this whole Air Bud oral history um, was that on your list, or what can you tell us? What can you share from the inside living room of uh, of the Weeb? Well, I haven't read uh, Nicole's uh, story yet. I saw it was getting rave reviews, and uh, it is on my marked list, but I uh, haven't uh, worked my way through it yet, so I'm going to have to leave the review to you right now, Marat. <laughs> well, I've never been so broken by an end-of-interview question, was he a good boy? And then you get the actors and directors and writers and everybody just commenting on Air Bud as an actual dog. And for whatever reason, at the end of this article, uh, it's it's meaningful. Um, but we we can get we can move beyond that, Ken. I know that you covered Chris Mason uh, for the Winnipeg Jets uh, in Winnipeg's inaugural 2.0 season. Um, so I'm going to throw this to you. Introduce the the gentleman we have joining us, and and let's get this thing going. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, Chris Mason, before he was a social media beauty, uh, as recognized by several NHLers, he was a uh, just absolute beauty of a person, individual, and uh, great uh, did a great job in the old pipes uh, for the Jets that first year. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thanks for joining us. How are things in Nashville? Thank you. What a what an intro. I appreciate that. Uh, feeling pretty good about myself right now. But uh, no, uh, no things are. Yeah, just hearing you guys chat about the social distancing and all that. It's. Uh, just doing the same thing here in Nashville, just trying to, to do the right thing, stay inside, spend a lot of time with the family, get outside when we can. It's a little, don't want to rub it in, but it's a little bit nicer here right now in terms of the weather, so it's easier to get outside and, and go for a walk with the dog and all that kind of stuff and you know, try to get out and, and keep the kids active and get them out of the house a little bit too here on the driveway. So it, it's crazy, crazy times for sure, but just uh, doing what we can and hopefully... Uh, you know, it passes sooner than later, but it's still pretty uncertain, obviously. Chris, I saw 
an amazing The Killers cover parody on your uh, Twitter feed the other day. And um, maybe we can grab a clip of it later for, for listeners or something like that. Stitch it in here. Roman Yossi would have won the Norris Trophy Flying through the neutral zone Cheering fans at Bridgestone But it's just the price we pay So everyone stays healthy Open up your eager eyes Cause I'm Mr. Cool Guy since when have you been making these things? Is this a is this a COVID um, isolation habit, or have you been an all star Twitter user for the last like year here? Well, you know what? It, it's kind of funny because I never ever had any form of social media when I played, and um, I I really had no intention. I didn't even know what it was all about. I was one of those, you know, older players, I guess, or dinosaurs that would just say, "Ah, I'm never going to get on Facebook," and you know. Twitter, what's that, and all this kind of stuff. But when I, I got the job um, with the Predators to do the color, it was a requirement uh, to be on social media, to interact with the fans. So I, I started on Twitter, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to have fun with it. I, you know, These are things that I never had the opportunity to do when I was a, when I was a player. So uh, I've always liked doing that kind of stuff. So you know, the Preds really encourage us to be creative and be, you know, stupid and silly and all these kind of things so i just kind of went with it and we've been putting out stuff uh like that over the years but i think now that you know everybody has nothing else to do it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of taken off a little bit more so I, I i just try to have fun with it and our our broadcast crew with um hal gill and willie donick Lindsay rally Kara hammer we, we just love to have fun and, and try to feed off each other and make uh make stupid stuff it's not it's not stupid it's fun stuff mace uh, and entertaining <laughs> well, fun stuff. there you go entertaining and engaging which is what we're all hoping for uh, during these times uh, uh obviously one of the videos about roman yossi uh let's maybe before we shift to the jets and that nature uh, how about uh, what's your case for yossi for the norris and uh, as a spoiler alert I, I would have him first on my ballot right now as well despite uh, trailing john carlson on the points front likewise yeah it's it's it, it, yeah, you know, and, and it's it's good because I think now um, with all the analytics and the information out there, and obviously you guys really do your uh, research and due diligence, which I think is awesome because you know even you know for us like we're we're broadcasters, so we vote on the Jack Adams, and there's a lot of times where you know there's storylines going on in different teams. I don't know, necessarily know what's going on. Uh, I don't follow it every day with the Tampa Bay Lightning or, you know, some of the teams out east that might have some coaches in the running. So I try to do my research to make, uh, you know, the right pick. I don't want to just take, you know, the, the John Carlson, who's leading the, the league in defenseman points. He's having an epic season. But once you dive deeper into the numbers, and I, I try to take my personal uh, opinion and bias out of the equation because obviously I get the opportunity to watch Roman Yossi every night and, um, it's a little different. I don't see Carlson as much and you try to go deeper than your opinion. So I, I try to use uh, the analytics and you, when you look at the award, it's to me, it's the best all around defenseman. And when you go, you do the, the deeper dive into the, some of the numbers and the value that he has to, to his team, I, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty clear choice in my opinion. So I try not to use, you know, my bias and I just try to you know present the numbers and the analytics that they're using in terms of end-to-end -end rushes defensive play uh, scoring chances against for all these types of different things percentage of offense 
all the, the different, uh, you know, information out there and just try to present it. And so it, it's not me giving my opinion. It's the information and it's the, the stats and the numbers that are telling the story. And to me, when I look at everything, um, you know, Roman Yossi is, is the clear front runner, in my opinion, just based on the numbers. We're going to try to do something where uh, on the broadcast, had we, you know, continued to broadcast where we're just taking the names off it and it was player A, player B, present the numbers and you decide who the who the winner is. And, you know, after I did all that for myself, again, it was clear that Roman Yossi was the guy. So um, he's just, he's a special player though. And, and watching him in the way that he plays that position, I, I don't think there's, I think there's some guys that are like him uh, a little bit, maybe Thomas Shabbat in terms of the way that they generate offense by themselves and the way they skate the puck up uh, through the neutral zone, out of the defensive zone, through the neutral zone and, and create offense on the rush. I just think he's, uh, he's just having a special season. So I, th- I think he's, he's definitely my guy. You know, there's an analytics movement that's maybe a little too intense for me right now that's saying forget positions, play rovers. You know, if you have a defenseman with enough skill, forget about the defensive zone, have somebody else cover for him if need be. Um, just like to watch and uh, have an opinion on these things. What do you feel? How do you feel about Yossi's rover-ish style? And he's not the same guy, but Dustin Bufflin, a guy missing from Winnipeg, was known to rove as well a time or two. Well, Buff, I, I play with Buff. He, he's just, he's an absolute freak of nature. And he was like that. You know, he obviously, he played, uh, you know, a lot of forward in Chicago when they won the cup. And, um, you know, so he's he's got those offensive instincts. And, and the same thing with him. Like, he's such a big guy. But the ability that these guys have to get the puck in the defensive zone, they don't necessarily have to move it right away and get it into the forward's hands. They can get that puck and they can fly by two guys before you know it. And, uh, you know, they're creating, they're on the offense in, in the blink of an eye. Uh, Roman Yossi is exactly the same. And I think that the biggest thing is when you play with those types of players, the forwards in this league are so good at understanding who you're on the ice with, what you have to do. Roman Yossi is going to be up in the rush all the time. Dustin Bufflin is going to be up in the rush all the time. So these guys have to know that they're going to have to fall back and support. Um, but their, the, their ability to skate. So one, once they get up in the rush, if, you know, if it doesn't materialize into a scoring chance or anything, they just turn right back up and, and they're right back on defense. And it doesn't really seem to uh, affect the defensive play of, of Roman Yossi. Um, so that's, that's the amazing thing. It's his hockey IQ and the smarts that he has, his ability to read the situation and, and pull out when he needs to get back and, um, you know, get back in a defensive position. But it, you're right, though. It, it is evolving uh, in terms of it, it's more of a, a five-man attack instead of just, a, hey, the forwards, you guys go up and take care of the offense. We're going to stay back here. Now it's just guys interchanging and moving in and filling in spots where they need to. So it's made for an exciting brand of hockey, that's for sure. Yeah, no better example of that than his, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, five-assist game in Winnipeg that included him setting uh, Ryan Hartman up on the doorstep for the winner. But uh, let's shift gears. Uh, we we have a card-carrying member of the Goaltenders Union. Uh, Chris, obviously you've watched him closely over the last couple of years in the Central, Central Division. I mean, what are your thoughts on the emergence of Connor Hellebuck? And speaking of awards, uh, would he be your choice for the Vesna right now? Yeah, you know what? I, I was just going to say that too. Before uh, you said it, if you're going to pick a, a Vesna Trophy winner, it's it's got to be Connor Hallebach. I think, you know, this year with the amount of talent and firepower that the Jets lost off of the back end in the off season, um, I think they've he's he's just done such an amazing job and you know, keeping the Jets in the race. And they've been a scrappy team. It's it almost seems like they've you know they've really adjusted the way that they play. 
in, in terms of a team, more attention to detail defensively. But I mean, there's been some games that I've watched where, where Connor Hellebuck has just been lights out, you know, a lot of high danger scoring chances. I think he leads the league in high danger scoring uh, in scoring save percentage or sorry, high danger save percentage. Uh, he's just, he's locked in and, you know, he had a, little bit of an up and down year last year I think the year before he was he was awesome but this year he's been uh he's been a rock the entire season so I think he's he's definitely got my nod for the for the Vesna. Yeah, I got him number one on my list too the athletics poll I think 38 out of 41 first place votes for Connor Hellebuck I, I think it's kind of refreshing for me to see that players from Winnipeg are getting the league-wide recognition. I wanted to ask Chris about in, in terms of an analytics attempt to evaluate goaltenders, when Hellebuck signed after his huge Vesna runner-up season in 2017-2018, you know, he had arrived. Um, but in an attempt to figure out, okay, is his contract worth it? You look at all of the goaltenders, you look at how save percentage, how do I say this? Like a 920 goaltender career-wide will have some seasons that are 930, some seasons that are 910, um, it's so hard to predict exactly how a goaltender is going to perform year in and year out. So an 18-19 season like Hellebuck had was completely reasonable math-wise, even for a guy as good as we're seeing right now. And when you're looking at goaltenders, you're trying to figure out how good they are. What do you put in your toolbox? How are you actually looking and deciding um, that this guy is going to be projectable and, and that Hellebuck's going to be at this range or not? Or I guess I, I need, didn't wrap that up into a, a neat question, but what are you using in terms of your evaluation? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, though. I know what uh, what path you're going down, and it, it's tough. Like the one thing with with the analytics, and this is the the one thing I would really like to. I know there's a lot of private analytics sites that you need to uh, pay to get access to, or some you know teams have their own way of doing things, but it, it's such a in depth position where. You know, they base scoring chances on where there's a dot on the ice of where that shot was taken, and that's going to be considered a high danger scoring chance or a medium danger, or low danger, whatever. But I, there's so many different elements to that um, where I, I believe, you know, if, if the, you, you get a pass out of the corner and a guy's got coverage on him, he's right in the slot and he's not able to get a, a quick shot off or, uh, or he's only able to get a quick shot off when he's under pressure, that shot's probably going the ice opposed to, let's say, a two-on-one with no back pressure and the guy's a right-handed shot and he's got time to, to make a pass. Well, that dot on the exact same spot, to me, the two-on-one pass is obviously a greater scoring chance, so it's hard to differentiate um, you know, when you're just doing those basic analytics of what a high-danger scoring chance is. So I'd like to see, is it a left-hand shot? Is it a right-hand shot? Does he have back pressure? Um, you know, all these types of things. Is he getting the shot clean from the slot? Is it going across the grain east-west, and then he's making a one-time shot? There's so many different layers to to a scoring chance that I don't think is is quite in yet in the basic analytics was it deflected did it hit uh, the goaltender's own teammate and go in I remember actually talking to Wade Flaherty about this where he got questioned about a, a goal that one of his goaltenders gave up because it was shot from the blue line and he said hey how are the goalies letting in shots from here so he went back watched the video and it was a shot that deflected off his own defenseman in the, in the you know in the top corner no chance for the goalie so I think uh you know, goalies are a product of your environment as well. Like Connor Hellebuck, I think last year the Jets obviously scored a ton of goals. Uh, they've got so many offensively uh, elite guys on the team, but I don't think they were as good defensively last year 
as they are this year. Um, obviously, you know, Connor Hellebuck's been a big part of that, but I think that the types of shots that he's facing are maybe a little more predictable. Uh, not as many breakdowns, not as many odd man rushes, breakaways. I know he's had some games where he's had a lot of those, but uh, I think when you look at a guy like Connor Hellebuck or any goalie, you have to take all those different factors uh, into into it and, and watching the games and watching the types of shots that the goalie's getting, I think is obviously the, the biggest thing to me. It's tough to you know, with the analytics right now to, to differentiate what high danger shot is the most. Let's say another guy's getting eight, you know, high danger shots because they're in that area. Well, they might not be the same as goalie B compared to goalie A, depending on the quality of that chance. So I think it's, I think it's coming, but I'd really like to get into, uh, you know, a discussion and ask some questions with some of the analytics uh, experts that are out there right now. Yeah, I love, uh, love the explanation, Mace, and the, uh, you know, the, the way you describe it. I mean, I've, Murat and I have had some debates and ch- chats in the press box this year as well about uh, the other thing that isn't under consideration is who's taking the shot. And, and that's not a knock against any of the 700-plus players in the NHL. I mean, if you're in the NHL, you've got a good shot, but there's a big difference between a guy take like Patrick Laine taking a shot or, uh, you know, a guy called up from the American Hockey League. I mean, in terms of the quality of the chance and and that as well. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. Uh, one of your teammates that first year, Blake Wheeler, now has emerged as the captain of the Jets. I mean, you saw his early frustration and challenge. Uh, you know, it took him I think 18 games to get his first goal, but now he's emerged into a world class playmaker and you know one of the one of the you know top wingers in the league. I mean, what have you seen in terms of the growth of his game, and what do you remember about his? Uh, you know, early struggles where he put so much pressure on himself and then finally that weight was lifted when he found the back of the net. Yeah, well, you know, for I, I love Wheels, by the way. He's such a great guy. And, you know, when I played with him, he was obviously an established player. But, um, you know, the, the leadership part is is something I think that comes with experience and maturity. It's, it's a different ball game when you um, you have that C on your on your chest and you you're the one that has to answer the questions and you're the one that has to be accountable and everybody looks to you first you know not only media wise but the coaching staff the players and then the most pressure that a a person could put on themselves is by themselves so you you know when you you get that c on your jersey it's an adjustment period because you have to figure out you know, you have to figure out, you know, the balance of, you know, coming down on guys, you know, picking them up. And it's a lot of pressure on a player, added pressure on a guy that, um, you know, obviously is, is a major, uh, you know, impactful guy on your team to begin with. And then now he's got that added weight. So you kind of really have to figure out how to manage um, being a captain, being a leader not, you know, changing who you are as a person. I think a lot of players go through a situation where, you know, you maybe try to get outside of of who you are because you have to feel, you know, you have to say something or you have to, you know, kind of be something you're not. And I'm not saying necessarily that happened with wheels, but I think I I feel now when I watch him in interviews, when I watch him on the ice, he's just more comfortable in in his skin and wearing that C. He's always had those leadership qualities, even as, you know, he's a younger player when I played with him. You could just tell that, you know, certain guys just have that uh, quality about them, and he definitely has. And now I think he's really settled into, you know, one of the best captains in the league. And it's not easy to be a captain in Canada as well. It's a lot easier in other markets because you're not getting the scrutiny and you're not getting the, you know, the intense media coverage. And that's something that's not easy to do. And I think a lot of guys are just expected, hey, you're the captain, this should be an honor. And, you know, all those types of things that go with it, which it is, 
but you have to, you know, you have to grow into it and you only get good at it by, you know, having that experience. But I really feel that um, he's turned into a heck of a leader and not only with the hockey stuff, but, you know, a lot of the community driven stuff that I've heard him speak about, I think he just does a really good job. From being a teammate, one of the th- things I've always wondered is about his sense of humor as a human being. Because when we get him in scrums, he has a wry, dry sarcasm that I laugh out loud at and sometimes have to like hold the microphone away from myself in the <laughs> middle of these things. But it's so dry. From knowing him outside of a microphone situation, th- is that the same person? He's great. He's, you know what, it's so funny because I just love, you know, when, you know, you see guys in the media and you see him speak, he's got a dry sense of humor. He's hilarious. We used to play video games on the plane uh, all the time with about 10 of us. uh, SOCOM on the the PSPs, PlayStation Portables back in the day. Um, But, you know, it's much like Shea Weber. You see Shea Weber in an interview. um, He's dry. You know, he's just very, you know, I'm the captain. I'm serious. Uh, this is what you're going to get. I'm Mr. Hockey, all these types of things. But when you get him, you know, away from the rink and, and his own, you know, comfortable setting, he's got, he's got one of the best sense of humor. He's one of the funniest guys that I ever played with. And, and wheels is much the same, but he wheels does give a little bit of uh, you know, personality and throughout those dry comments too, when he's addressing the media, which, which is really good. But yeah, he's, he's got quite the sense of humor and uh, you know, he's, he's very dry but he can be uh, he can be goofy and funny at times too. I don't know if you guys get to see that side of him, but he's definitely uh, he's definitely one of the funnier guys I've played with. Speaking of uh, funnier guys who keep their personalities out of the media, Dustin Bufflin, obviously one of those guys. Uh, first, curious for your yep. favorite Dustin Bufflin story, Mace, and then also what were what were your thoughts uh, from the outside of watching what transpired with him? You know, not not coming to training camp and kind of putting his career on hold. Uh, you, well, you know, I I love Buff. I, I think he's just a, he's just a great person uh, first and foremost. And um, you know, I was there when he had his first child and just how much he loved his family and uh, how much that meant to him. And, and when you get older, you, you question those things, you know, you question your mortality as a player, what your priorities are. Uh, it, it changes. I, I think before, I know before I had kids, hockey was everything. Like I was just, it was the most important thing. Um, I, all my energy was towards there. Everything that I did was was dedicated to, to hockey and getting better and winning hockey games and staying in the NHL and training. And when you have kids, uh, it, it's just it's a it's a really powerful shift that it just changes your priorities a little bit. And I think that affects you know the the passion and the fire that you have for, you know, your summer conditioning, your summer training. Um, and I think, you know, a guy like Buffett, if you don't have that at a hundred percent, it's tough to really invest everything you have into to what you're doing, because it, it takes, it takes, it's such a big commitment to, to be at that level. And if you don't, if you're not there mentally and your heart is not a hundred percent in it, it's tough. So I, I think that that's probably, I'm, I don't want to put words or, or thoughts in, in the buff's head, but I, I'm just guessing that that had a lot to do with, with his decision. And, um, you know, it's tough, but I, I really, I really love buff as, as a person and as a player, I've never seen anyone like him. He's just, uh, he's a freak of nature in terms of, you know, his massive size, his strength his how quick he is, his athletic ability. Um, you know, just the way that he can physically just take over a game and just, you know, just dominate um, with the intimidation factor of him out there and, and his skill level is just off the charts. So, you know, I've never played and I don't think there's another player that's quite like Dustin Bufflin. 
One of the things downtime-wise we've gotten into is I've been looking at best plays of Jets 2.0 history, and I was made to rewatch that first shift in the first preseason game against Columbus where he's just running over people. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger statement made by anyone in preseason, maybe even October, as that shift. What was your viewpoint for that? Well, first of all, you know, that was – you know, you play a lot of games. I've played, you know, thousands of hockey games in my life and, um, you know, had lots of great memories. But you don't remember a lot of everything. There's very few that you do really that stick out to you and that you can just vividly recall and, and feel like you're in that moment. But that, that was one of the moments uh, being inside of that Winnipeg arena when the team first came back and the energy that the city had. It was just, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was just, it was just incredible and such a, an amazing thing to be a part of one of the highlights of my career. But, um, you know, when buff went out and it was, you know, the team came out, it was so loud. And then, like you said, like the statement that buff made in an exhibition game in a preseason game where, you know, it, it, it was a completely different thing. I don't know if there'll ever be one like that where, you know, you have a city that lost their team. That's been longing for hockey for NHL hockey for, for decades and then that game, you know, it's the first game you see all the players and, you know, I didn't play in that game, but you see all the players that, um, you know, are wearing the Winnipeg Jets sweater and everyone's back. And it's just, it was surreal to, to see and feel the energy. And then when Buff was doing that, I've, it was just, it was so loud in there. And, you know, he, he did that. He did that to the Predators in the playoffs when they had that best of seven. You know, he buffs a guy, he'd go in the corner, he'd grab two guys and he'd ragdoll them around and, um, but man, he just destroyed some of those, uh, Columbus guys. And that was, uh, you know, that was the start of the era, you know, for the jets and having their team back and Dustin Bufflin will be obviously one of the most, uh, you know, remembered guys in probably Winnipeg jets franchise history. So it was a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And something that, uh, you know, bring, gives me shivers now thinking about the energy in that building. Well, it was crazy, right? I mean, it was packed for the warm-up, and people just went absolutely bonkers. I mean, that was one of the wildest things you'll ever see. I mean, that first game against Montreal was wild too, but the preseason game was just off the charts just for what it was. Uh, Chris, uh, you were also involved in probably uh, the wildest NHL game that I have seen in person um, in nine years covering the league, October 27th at Philadelphia. Uh, nine eight finish with the Flyers. Uh, what stands out most uh, for you about that one? I know uh, it was an eventful one for you as well. Yeah, well, you know, it was it was crazy because I, I got an opportunity. I went in. Where the heck did I go in? I think I went in the third period. So I was sitting there. I got hurt that game, but I, I felt you know that was it was actually I felt it was early in the season and it was an opportunity for me uh, personally. Um, because, you know, Pav was going and, and got off to kind of a slow start that season. And I was doing okay. I didn't get many games at the start, but I thought it was, uh, you know, an opportunity to go in and, and get some, you know, get some games and maybe, you know, try to get some more playing time. And we we're trying to, I was still trying to fight for a number one job at that point. Um, but yeah, we, I went in, I got hurt. So Pav, Pav had to go back in and finish off that game. And it was, uh, it was it was crazy. I mean, there was goals. I can't remember what the score was. I think we were down a ton of goals, and we ended up coming back and and winning that hockey game. But it was uh, it was nuts. I mean, when's the last time you've seen seventeen goals scored in a in a hockey game? Right? It was just it was just crazy. We had we had a few of those kind of games actually in Winnipeg 
uh, that year in Atlanta the year before too because you know defensively we weren't that strong but we had some guys that could that could really score goals and put the puck in the net so we had a few of those track meets back in the day I wanted to ask you about modern uh, NHL times where you look at the NHL standings and if you go by what happened on the day the league was paused, you have the Jets in a wild card spot. But if you go to points percentage, the Jets fall out and the Predators come in. How do you feel like this league should sort out and choose its playoff positions? You know, I, I, that's a tough one because I really don't know. I think, uh, obviously, you know, the, the longer it goes, the less likely I think they're they are to finish out the regular season and they'll have to come up with some sort of, you know, formula to decide. And it's tough. I know it's probably not something that um, a team that gets uh, kind of the wrong end of it was, is going to feel good about, but I think you'd have to look at the, you know, the points percentage wise would be the fairest way to do it because um, you know, it's not, I don't think it's fair if someone's played more games uh, than another team and they have more points and they get in. I think it's 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 tough, and there's going to be some teams that are going to be really unhappy with how it unfolds. I think, but uh, the longer it goes, they, they've got to figure something out because I, the guys are going to have to have a training camp. They're going to have to have some time to get back into shape and get on the ice. Otherwise, you're going to end up with uh, you know a ton of injuries. You know, can you imagine not playing for you know two months and then all of a sudden playing you know games of, of playoff magnitude? Uh, you know, to start things off. So they're going to have to make sure that the guys get you know close to you know, back to 100% as they can in terms of their physical conditioning. Um, I don't, I don't even know if that's possible to be honest with you. But it's going to be, uh, you know, some uh, some unhappy campers for sure. But I, I think they should. My opinion is they should go based on points per game. I think it's it's the only fair way to do it. One other thing, Chris, uh, we should touch on before we let you roll. Uh, obviously, you enjoyed a great NHL career. Uh, tell us a little bit about the road to becoming a broadcaster and and how you've enjoyed that role since moving into it. Yeah, you know, uh, when I played in Nashville, they were, you know, obviously a new market team and down south, so they're always trying new things on the broadcast. And one of the things they did when I was, uh, you know, first playing here was they put the headset on the goalie on the bench in the third period, and I get to chat with uh, Pete Weber and Terry Crisp were the the, the guys at the time. And um, so I'd go on and we chat for about five minutes uh, during the play in the, in the third period. And um, my boss now, Bob Cole, uh, not that Bob Cole, but a, a different one. Um, yeah, he would. He said, he said, hey, you know, you, you do a good job on that. If you ever, you know, end up moving back to Nashville when you're done playing, um, you know, we'd like to try out if you'd ever consider doing a broadcast career. And at the time when I was playing, you know, I was still just getting started in the NHL. I thought, ah, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. That wasn't even a thought. But uh, the closer I got my last year in Nashville, which was 2013, he called me after the season. He said, hey, you know, if – I'm going to follow up with you again if you have any interest and you end up moving back here to retire uh we'd still you know like to to uh to try out so let's keep the conversation open and uh, i ended up playing two more years in europe and then moved back to nashville and i started out um you know doing half the games on the radio and uh you know a couple of years ago this is my third year doing the tv um they they gave they offered me that job and and i and i took it and i just i fell in love with it i didn't know that you know, playing that I would have a, a passion for this, but I, I, it's such a unique, you know, you go over to the other side and you know, you're now I'm, I feel like I'm part of a new team and to, to work with the people that have passion for what they do. 
um, and they're, they're so professional and just, it, it's really been a, an incredible part of my journey. And I really, I really love doing it. And it's been, uh, it's been a huge blessing and I'm just so thankful that I got this opportunity. I just, I love doing it. I love hockey. You know, I love covering the sport and it's been, uh, it's been, it's been cool. And I just love learning about it, watching other people and learning from them. And it's just been a, just been a great experience. Well, with that, I think that we have hit our time. So let me just say a, a huge thank you from Red Deer to Nashville, uh, Predators on Fox Sports. Uh, but with a memorable stop in Winnipeg with some big games and big memories for Jets 2.0. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being here on the boarding pass today. Thanks for having me on, guys. That was fun. I appreciate it. Beauty. Thanks, Mace. That was awesome. Well, that was fun, wasn't it, Ken? I mean, what memorable stories from Jets 2.0 era. What a great talker that Chris is as well. A lot of great stories to be in there. I, my first real impact, because I didn't cover them like you, was that Roman Yossi video that, that's been going around. Uh, <laughs> but, but you called it. You called it. He'd be great, and, uh, and he certainly was. Yeah, absolutely, Murad. I mean, honestly, in, in under beauty in the dictionary, you see a picture of Chris Mason, uh, a guy who obviously <laughs> has a tremendous amount of insight. And uh, I mean, another guy who was always fun to talk to. I mean, again, a lot of the time those backup goalies have so much insight. They watch the game so closely. But uh, he was always a guy with a great big personality. Uh, you can tell he loves, he had a huge passion for hockey and and great work ethic and those are two qualities that have really served him well in his new role I mean he's excellent at what he does uh, isn't afraid to make fun of himself but also he has a great knowledge base and he's always trying to learn more I mean look at that look at the conversation uh, how many better conversations have we had about analytics and where they could be going than what we just had with Chris I mean yeah just just a great person and uh, I mean he's doing a great job in his uh, new role and uh, didn't mention uh, one of his other hobbies he's been working on uh, with all this extra time in his hands he sent me a picture of uh, an artist drawing of Spider-Man which he uh, made for his son so uh, another <laughs> great way for him to keep busy but uh, yeah great person and uh, great you know great thoughts on the game and great insights and uh, I thought he'd be great and hope that hopefully our listeners enjoy uh, that half an hour we just had with him for sure. I, I like, I've, I've tried to get Connor Hellebuck to talk about the specific context factors that, that affect each shot, like the sort of things that make life more difficult in any given moment. And I don't think uh, I've gotten a better answer out of him than, than Mason just gave in terms of, you know, the handedness, the amount of pressure, uh, it, you know, where the puck comes from, for sure. That's something that the analytics community spends some time on, too. Where the passes are, do they go across the middle of the ice, or they low to high? But to hear uh, Chris's context and all sorts of things that he would look for is probably more thorough than uh, an active goaltender would be willing to give. Even Laurent Bessois, who, who gave some... Uh, some really good insights for some of the pieces that we've gave this season probably didn't go into as much depth as that. So I really admired the the sort of hunger for the new knowledge in terms of analytics and the way that he's incorporating it into his Roman Yossi vote, which I agree with as well. So between Yossi and Hellebuck as award winners, um, I think he's nailing it. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, again, a guy that's paying close attention, right? I mean, that's the other part that... Uh that you love to see from a guy who you know still loves the game enough to, to still try to be wanting to learn more about it. So uh, obviously a really great uh, great person and a, and a good person to have uh, share some of those insights with our listeners. 
Um, so, okay, we, we had that conversation. We continue to cover the Jets in as many ways as possible during the shutdown. Um, I read your Jason Jaffray piece uh, today that went up live. That was great. The um, Blake Wheeler piece as well was, was quite funny to read. I like to hear him beaking Mark Shifley for his love of high school musical. That made me laugh as well. And uh, We continue to be on this. Uh, right before we... Right before we went on, um, we, we started talking about some of our, our favorite spots in Winnipeg in terms of uh, the places that we miss the most or uh, the local businesses that we support and, and things like that. And, and I told you I almost didn't want to give away all the my secret <laughs> coffee shops that I spend time writing in and uh, during the best of, best of times as well. But you, you can rest assured if you're listening right now, if it's an independently owned Winnipeg coffee shop, I have spent long hours drinking much coffee and uh, writing many Jets words there. I'm wondering, Ken, if there are any places that that you're missing, especially right now. Yeah, uh, you know, fortunate enough to have a bunch of buddies in the in the restaurant industry. Um, I mean, we know Nick from Nicolino's. Uh, we ordered a couple times takeout from there. Uh, you know, one of my close friends in the media industry, Joe Aiello, a guy who I did a radio show with for a long, long time. Uh, you know, just opened Frankie's Italian Kitchen a couple months ago. So, I mean, really tough timing. Uh, on the front for you know having a pandemic come in and uh, Camp Shabbat is another friend of mine who runs clothes company uh, you know small you know 12 seat uh, place uh, that I really enjoy so but then you know Winnipeg we're so blessed with such a great restaurant scene and uh, hopefully uh, folks are doing whatever they can to support their local businesses here during this incredibly challenging time for everybody. Yeah, like a lot of things about Winnipeg, we tend to punch above our weight, which is just a special thing about this city. And like you hear about, um, you know, that dinner on the river that runs in in, in February with all the chefs that work together on that and how countries around the world are looking to it as a design, um, something to to copy and emulate and things like that. So, yeah, as usual, um, I, I didn't know how connected you were, but definitely Winnipeg punching above its weight on the restaurant scene. Um, before we get too deep into that, though, um, I, I think that we've run out of time for the show. Before we give away all of our secrets, and you might see some in articles or in more podcasts to come, uh, it, it's been a pleasure of talking with you, Ken. It was great to have Chris on as well. Thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're doing this through Spotify, Apple, or at theathletic.com. We'll see you next week. <laughs>